This is the Jewelers Podcast, a social storyteller's production. So Neil's here and uh, we're going to talk watches. Neil has suggested Roger to come in and talk with us too. Hello Roger, how are you? Good, thank you. So tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm, uh, I've been a collector of watches pretty much all my life. I decided that I wanted to make that a career. So I'm actually a third-year apprentice uh, watchmaker at the moment, working at Seiko, learning the trade. Remind people what your background, Neil. So I grew up in the watch industry. My dad is a watchmaker. Prior to making the jump into jewellery, I actually did an apprenticeship as a watchmaker. So I'm, I guess, both watchmaker and jeweller, and I swing back and forth between the two throughout my career. Uh, very good. Well, as we're a jewellers podcast, just to relate it to jewellers a bit, wanted to uh, ask about jewellers setting up a watch repair side of the business. Can a jeweller take in watches for repair, do you think, Neil? Uh, absolutely. I, I, I think that they can, they should. I think that throughout history, the, the watch and jewellery trades have always been inextricably linked. Most watch brands that we know today started off as jewellery brands originally. There are there are a few that have two Correct. going yep. together. Correct. Like Van Cleef. Mm-hmm. Um, Van Cleef and Arpel. That's the only one I know. Cartier. Yeah, yeah Bulgari, But still quite, quite a lot of others. I guess originally in the very early days of personal timepieces, a jeweller was required at the very least to manufacture a case for it to go in. Sure. And in a lot of circumstances, a jeweller was required to actually shape and machine plates, manufacture springs, enamel dials. Enamel was something that often jewellers were used to do. And then it's all sort of at some point broke away into its own trade but it's always been quite closely linked as trades and I think if you're not taking in watch repairs as a jeweler I think that you're actually doing yourself and your your consumers a, a disservice you're giving them an opportunity to go to somebody else who does who does both yeah, yeah. And, and certainly nowadays too I mean I'm sure there'd be many jewelers who can relate that they've been asked by a watchmaker to repair a case or to repair a charnier from a pocket watch or do a precious metal fill-in or repair to to some vintage case because the vintage watch market's huge at the moment. Lots of people wanting to repair granddad's old pocket watch or the internet has made many more people aware of the value of of their old pieces that have sat in in drawers for for decades. So there's definitely a space for jewellers to also be involved in repairing cases and um, some of the parts of the watches that watchmakers struggle with. What's, what's the line, though, of what the jeweller does and what the watchmaker does? Or is it going to be... <laughs> well, uh, look, I, I think that... How long is a piece of string type Yeah, thing? it is how long is a piece of string, and it does come down to the individual skill level mm. of, of either tradesman. But uh, much as I hate to say it, I, I do think that jewellers are... Most jewellers are quite capable of changing your average watch battery if they pay attention to what they're doing. And if they go into it with some some sensible knowledge. Yes. Uh, knowledge is key, isn't it? Because we've absolutely. all seen watchbacks that have got that nice sort of scratch. Mm-hmm. Someone's got a screwdriver trying to prize it. Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I would say that I've, I've made a, a small fortune over the years out of repairing watches that were stuffed up by somebody who was not knowledgeable having a go at yeah. Some years ago, there was a um, shoe repair kiosk very close to my shop. The person in there had a habit of attempting absolutely anything. There was literally, there was a point in time where we were getting at least one reasonable watch repair a week with a, a broken glass or a damaged back uh, or a broken coil inside of the watch because this person had no idea what they were doing. Fortunately, at least they were sensible enough to admit to the customer when they didn't know what they were doing when they, there'd been an issue and would actually pass on the job to us to take over. Oh, sure. it, it did become a little frustrating. So that was their business model. Yeah, it, it did become... Have a go, see if they get away with it, if not send to you. Yeah, which <laughs> I, I, I would uh, strongly recommend against. 
it works works out kind of uh, in your favour. Was it was it Donny, Donald Rumsfeld years ago that said there are known unknowns and unknown unknowns? And um, that's too many knowns for me. <laughs> but, yeah, go on. I think it's it's all about knowing your limitations, and I think my personal theory is the more you know about something, the more you realise you don't know. Yes, very true, yeah. And so perhaps sometimes it's knowing when to stop. If you've scratched three case backs in the last week, maybe it's time to find out a better way. Yeah, maybe before you start, Google how hard can it be (laughs) 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 and see if there's some forums out there telling you how hard it really is. Also for jewellers thinking about taking in watch repairs, I think the real add-on benefit is is that you can uh, if you set yourself up a, a working relationship with a trade watchmaker you can make yourself a 100% or more markup on what that trade watchmaker is, That's is a great charging idea. you. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to start. Mm. So if you get a watch comes in for a battery and it turns out that the battery is not the problem, you tell the client that you're going to have to give it to your watchmaker to quote. Potentially the quote from the watchmaker is, for instance, $50. You then charge your client $110. You've made 50 bucks just for giving an extra service. And in a lot of cases, you know, the, the watches that people bring to you, they're special. You know, they've been on their wrist for 20 years or their mother's wrist or their father's wrist or, or whatever yeah. it might be. So the last thing anyone with any conscience wants to do is wreck or destroy the cosmetic value or the, you know, the, the integrity of, of a nice piece. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an expensive watch, but the reason so, they're there, they, they want it done and they want it done properly. Yeah. yeah we, we used to get a lot of them in the shop, deceased estates, when they yep. clean out the drawers and they find a really nice watch hidden down the back what are common repairs then what 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 are the ones that come in day day out i I think that you know my experience with this is probably going to be a little bit different to rogers because roger works in a workshop situation at a wholesaler so what he sees on a daily basis is probably a little bit different to what a retail front line yeah Yeah. so So we'll do both yeah in in the retail circumstance i think yeah by far, your most common repair is going to be a battery. Secondly, would be a band fitting or a spring bar fitting. Thirdly, would be a glass. And then fourth would be a, a service. Potentially change positions on the glass and service. It really depends on your clientele, the quality of product that they have. And certainly I've, I've noticed in the last few years that replacing glasses has, is not as common as what it used to be. Okay. Is that better technology? It's more sapphire glass in the market, uh, maybe? I think... Certainly in the higher end, yeah. Yeah, I I think it's a few things. I think certainly uh, in the higher end you're getting better quality glasses. Like, uh, say with Seiko, you have hard lakes glasses, which are a hardened mineral glass. So it's a glass that has been treated to case harden it, so it's harder to scratch. And then above that, you have your sapphire glasses. And even there's a couple of brands now that have sapphire glasses with a diamond coating mm-hmm. over it. Oh, wow. Um, so what is sapphire glass for anyone? So sapphire glass is literally, it's a synthetic sapphire. It's cut from a bull the same as a synthetic sapphire for jewellery purposes is, uh, except it's cut to a consistent thickness and a consistent diameter. And it is generally optically clear. There are one or two exceptions where you may get a tint in it or yep. whatever. Very so, cool. So I think that in the, in, the, <laughs> in the mid to upper end, you don't do it quite as often now because of better quality materials. And in the lower end, you may find that, um, you know, retail price of, of replacing just a very basic mineral glass might be $30 and it might be that the watch is 30 or $40. So yeah. But certainly that it, it still is something that is a relatively common repair yeah. to do what about uh, rebonding glasses where uh, they've fallen off the case in older watches that's certainly a place for jewelers to uh, that can certainly offer good assistance isn't it i would say with the average gluing a, a glass into a case i would say you're better off with a watchmaker doing mm. it because what i have seen of jewelers doing it actually i just had one last week it came through that had been that the, the jeweler had attempted gluing it himself because he didn't take the movement and dial out of the case first and he didn't remove the old glue first. Mm. Is this a big whoops? Yeah, there was just... Here we are back at knowledge again. Uh, Yeah, sure. There was a a 
filthy mess. There was glue all under the glass. Uh, a couple of little drops had got onto the dial as well, mm. which fortunately peeled off quite easily. Uh, and there was a yellow ring visible under it where the old glue which had perished was still there. So it is something that, as jewellers, we are quite adept at gluing things. Dab hand. Yeah, I think... Is that a bit of a joke? That <laughs> <laughs> make it funny. I think, I think every jeweller uh, uses the old araldite, the old five-minute epoxy or, or super glue to put something in place or hold it in place or whatever. It's uh, a wondrous day, the day you're introduced to araldite, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I do think that, you know, if a watch comes in with a glass fallen out, my advice would generally be send it to the watchmaker and potentially to hit up the customer, warn the customer that a new glass may be required. I, I do find that sometimes when a, a glass comes to you for that that's fallen out it's so scratched it's so chipped the case mm. is such a filthy mess it's really i'm only going to charge another five or ten dollars to fit a brand new glass yeah, then what i well. want to clean that one up and, and glue it back in mm. yep. and there's always i guess the other side of it too is uh, another common thing that you see uh, is where a glass has been broken in the watch and someone's gone and slapped on a lovely new glass and left all the fragments of of the old glass to scratch away the dial and or to, get, to get inside the movement. Get jammed up in the date. Or, I, I just or had one the other day and I was astonished. I was like, you know, surely someone could have brushed this off on and blown it away, but no. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that's another thing that's important, I guess, get rid of the old residue from the, the little crystals and shards of glass. Yeah. And what sort of things do you see in your workshop? Well, sort of more we, day-to-day. In a similar way like Neil, we, we do get that range. We have things right from just things that need a, a new um, you know, a new pin to, to secure the band or where they've tried to take out links for the customer and made a mistake and scratched it or wanting a, a, a replacement link, batteries, uh, or the, the watch might have stopped under guarantee. We do probably 40% of our work might be um, under warranty repairs either where it's store stock and it's been sitting there for a while or they, they need to uh, have it checked out for whatever reason. Um, and then we have a lot of stuff which might just come in off the street. We've got, we have a place where customers can show up and we look at their watch there and then and give them a, uh, an estimate on what's wrong with it and what, what, uh, what we think needs to happen. And then we have other, we have trade work that comes from people like jewellers and maybe smaller watchmakers that may not go that far with watches and they know it needs a service it might be a complicated model so they send it in for a trade repair and then we just have normal retail repairs as well which range right from battery changes again yeah, yeah. through to full services and overhauls etc and what, what's the fun stuff what's Ooh. the stuff you can really get lost in I think uh, the services are the the fun stuff because you you really have a puzzle of tiny little wheels and um plates and all sorts of bits and pieces to put together to clean to see what's wrong with look for problems yeah um uh, and and you know it's always i think most watchmakers would agree it's really satisfying to see that watch going again once you've put you know 50 plus up to 200 parts together again to reassemble the watch so it's like when you sort of tidy a really messy garage or something and you start and it gets messier and you're like what have i done (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) it certainly can be especially when you're learning like me yeah yeah lots of little dials is that something you like doing servicing yes and no i think it depends on what it is what's wrong with it neil's very good at servicing yeah. Um, <laughs> so you can see that Roger did work with me for six months. He's picked up my sense of humour. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I find it swings and roundabouts. It, it depends on um, exactly what it is, what's wrong with it, why it's got to be done. I, I do, and if you're in the mindset, probably, hey. Certainly, yes. I, I do find that there are times when uh, I'm working to a very tight schedule. The pressure of time. Yeah. Mm. Uh that, that uh, I, I do find that it's not always as satisfying as it could be in my business because I literally take on anything and everything. I do get the odd job where it turns into a six-month job because you are you have so many parts that are rusted or, or broken or missing, yeah. and then you have to go through and find order 
fit stop, a part. Stop, start, mm. wait, stop, start, wait. Test Absolutely. the whole thing and then realise that the next part in series is not operating correctly. That is one of the problems with, with watch servicing, Absolutely. particularly on vintage things. So, that, uh, if it comes in not working, often you'll see one specific problem and think that, okay, if we service it and we replace this one part, that should get it going. But it's only once you've done that and got it going that then you can actually have a listen and a look and see how that part is interacting with everything else sure. and you realise that there are other issues. So how, how can you give estimates on how long mm. a watch repair is going to... Again, uh, how long is a piece of string? How long is a piece of string? Look, um, There's different a, ways of doing it. I mean, some some I know some watchmakers that literally strip the watch to every piece before they quote, um, especially in the high end. Oh, um, what do they do if they don't get the quote? Like... Uh, Give it back in pieces. No, they reassemble it, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, well, you didn't go ahead. (laughs) Take these pieces. (laughs) But, I mean, sometimes that's necessary to really – like you virtually have to repair it to know exactly what's wrong in some situations with with complex watches and where something's worth tens of thousands of dollars. Sure. So the the problem could be right at the bottom of – Sometimes you don't see until you really get to the nitty-gritty. Yeah. Sometimes you'll you'll have a watch that's – 30 years old come in and you assume it's just a service and you will discover at some point that there is actually a manufacturing defect in there that has been there since day one and then you have to go back and rectify that. Sometimes you're fixing the last guy's issues. That's right, yes, there's plenty Um, of that. Usually that's because the customer has tinkered with it. I do know there is actually one jeweller who I have done some work for. I did a repair for a family member of his and I did it under warranty numerous times and I could not work out why every time I gave it back to him, within a week or two it would come back to me stopping and there would be problems in the escapement, in the balance region. What's the escapement? So the escapement is the part of the watch where the power is released on a controlled basis. So essentially that is where your timekeeping happens. So It's uh, a very important and often the least understood part of a mechanical watch. Yeah. Yeah, And and the problem was that this particular watchmaker took it upon himself to try and adjust the timekeeping to be a little bit faster Uh, every time I gave it back to him and uh, wasn't telling me and every single time was actually putting the watch out of beat which means Mm. that he was causing it to take longer for the watch to release power in one direction than in the other direction. In other words, the tick-tock was not even anymore. It was tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Oh, sure. Yeah. Just piling error upon error yep. in, in that case, yep. which is very frustrating when you're trying to repair that. I mean, especially when uh, we used to I used to do electronics repair years ago, and we had a we had a terminology called a technician induced fault, where you know often they're the hardest things to fix because you don't expect that someone else has intervened, and uh, especially in your case, Neil, where you've just gone and you know overhauled a watch and everything's running wonderful, and then it comes back to you with with that. How can it do this? If you are taking in work watch repairs and you are giving them to a trade watchmaker. Don't ever make promises to your customer. It's, 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 and then it's such an automatic response though, isn't it? To try and give them kind of a framework. I do it all the time myself and I shoot myself in the foot and then I'm like up until two o'clock in the morning trying to get the project finished. How would you how have you phrased it in the past? So, so what I encourage my clients to do is I tell them that on minor repairs due to my schedule of pickup and delivery yes. or or my postage schedule that on minor repairs they can expect a one week turnaround. On major repairs they can expect approximately 2 to 3 weeks, but if it's going to be longer, we will let you know. Yeah. And then often when I am quoting, if I know that I'm going to have an issue with spare parts mm. or with the complexity of something and fitting it into my schedule, yeah. I will then, at the end of the quote, will write five to six weeks or you know, occasionally I have to write parts won't be available for three months, which happens occasionally. Sure. And then it's up to, up to the client whether they want to go ahead or not and I you know I, I fully understand that if they have a time frame in mind and it can't be done within that time frame then they may not yeah so sure. 
But I they're have no- going on holiday or something. Yeah, yeah. well, a lot of people say, oh, I'm leaving the country next week. I'm sure we've all heard mm. it for polishing jobs or resizes, and it's, it's all rubbish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are some retailers who the customer will come in and say, oh, I need that done for the end of the week. And the, cust- the, the retailer just won't say, I'm sorry, we can't. Yeah, you got They it. agree to that no, and then pass it, no. well, pass it on. Everyone wants to please their customers. Pass it on. Yeah. It's natural. Pass it yeah. on to the trade person to try and uh, pick up that slack. You'll get much better results if you stick to agreed timeframes and guidelines with your tradesperson. The same as if you've got a setting job and you're giving it to a setter. If your setter works on the basis that he's going to take one week, don't go promising your customer that you'll have it done overnight and then contacting your setter and saying, is that any is that yeah. possible to do? Hmm. Well, all, all you're doing is buying yourself trouble when you're promising things that can't be delivered because then they're, they're going to come and nag you. They're not going to, they don't know who your setter yeah. is. So it's all about well, communication and I think so. One, and, yeah. one other and not, thing. not uh, getting ahead of yourself with promises. Yeah. yeah. One, one other thing to bear in mind too, I, I guess the analogy would be if you take a car for a repair, you know that... Oh, the, car, the car analogy is, 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 works quite well with yeah. torches. Hey? Absolutely. Well, if you take a car for a repair, you expect that the mechanic is going to take it for a test drive. They're testing the thing that that item is designed to do, which is to travel. So with a watch, the, the thing that that item is designed to do is to keep time. So they're going to take time to test it. Often I'll, I'll have people ring me up and say, is that job done yet? Customer would like it as soon as they can or they'd like it early. Well, uh, yes, sure. it is done, but I haven't tested it enough yet. If it's a quartz watch, if, if it's gone for 48 hours for me and if it's got a date change on it and it's gone through a couple of date changes, generally I'm quite happy to send it out and, and I've also already done the electronic testing on it. If it's a mechanical watch, I might want to test it for two weeks or so, depending on the type of watch that it is. Yes, it's done. Yes, it's going. But I'm actually winding it every day, potentially even wearing it myself or putting it on a a machine that simulates it being worn. Do you have that? Are you wearing like four watches? (laughs) Especially if they're nice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Going back to the car analogy, it's like... Someone well, brings in a Ferrari, you're like, okay, that definitely needs a test drive. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the other thing is too, like there's that, that quirk of psychology where the customer understands that a car has many parts. You know, there's a gearbox, there's an engine, there's an exhaust, there's all these parts of a car, brakes, etc. They just see a watch as one unit. They don't understand or don't necessarily think that there's many different little parts in that watch that make it run and make it run well. And that many of those parts can have wear and problems, just like in your car when it's done 400,000 kilometres. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's part of the thing. It, 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 that's why that car analogy works well To Most reasonable people can see, oh, yeah, it's not just something I put on my wrist. It's actually you know, a, a mechanical watch beats more than 5 million times a, a year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of... Wear and tear going on with these tiny little parts rotating constantly 24 hours a day. You just reminded me, uh, about 25 years ago, at the time we had, a, we had a watch repair kiosk in a sort of elite shopping district. A lady came in with a, a fairly expensive fashion label watch, asked for a battery, probably, I don't know, seven years old, something like that, around about the time that a lot of watches uh, will come up for servicing if they're not necessarily looked after or, mm-hmm. or, or maybe not the best made. Or And uh, watch wasn't going. I checked the battery. battery had a full charge. It uh, wasn't kicking over. So I brought it back to the counter and I said, look, your battery's not the problem. It needs a service and whatever other parts and her response was, no, there's nothing in there other than a battery. <laughs> I said, no, 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 the battery is just the power source that then drives this little motor that then turns the hands. Why are you lying to me? There's nothing in there other than a battery. Uh, <laughs> you know, the warning bell should have been ringing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, suffice, right. <laughs> to say, suffice to say that I did not get uh, that repair job, but I think that I 
potentially save myself a bullet <laughs> by by not dealing with that person. If you go back through that recording, you'll you'll note I said most reasonable customers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not reasonable. I, I think we all know in 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 all trades, but particularly in a trade like like watches and jewelry, where we're dealing with sentimental items and we're dealing with people from every single walk of life. That not every customer is reasonable. No, absolutely. Yeah. What's the danger signs of general taking in watches where where should you take extra special care if you get a very expensive watch you need to be noting down how you know if it's a diamond set band or you you those kinds of things where 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 okay. where do you need to cover yourself so i, I would say cover yourself uh in the same way that you do with jewellery repairs, always do paperwork. Mm -hmm. Have uh, an envelope and receipt system uh, where you uh, give customers a copy. I would definitely say when you're writing down the brand of the watch on paperwork, I would normally like you to write something along brand on commas. brand on <laughs> dial Rolex or whatever. Mm. Uh, yeah, sure. Do, do not say outright that this is a Rolex. Mm. Uh, say uh, brand printed on dial Rolex. Mm. If you don't know yourself what the difference is between a uh, a genuine and a copy watch, never ever say that it's. It's like when you're taking in a jewellery repair and you write white stone instead of automatically writing diamonds. Yes. You're just covering your bases as best you can. You're not uh, there to authenticate there. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and trap yourself in the process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would suggest writing down on that paperwork, writing down model numbers and serial numbers as well, both for your peace of mind and the client's peace of mind. Make a note on the paperwork of any damage to the item. If you can see chips or scratches on the glass, discoloration in the in the case i do know there are a couple of places i do work for who have a pretty good computerized repair system mm -hmm. where they actually take a photo that's of everything right. that's becoming quite common now there's even apps for this oh yeah. very so, good yeah you can you can record all of that stuff digitally now too are you using an app system or no i, I well with seiko we have our own system that, that's quite yeah. comprehensive but i know that some of our trade uh, repairers that we work for every day they they now record every watch digitally before they send it to us so they expecting yeah. when they get it back it's the same don't just take it from the customer without looking at it stop spend 30 seconds to a minute having a good look at it uh, have a look at the dial and hands something that i see quite a lot is that markers off of the dial have dropped off and are floating around on there and nobody has noticed and i have to be the one that says well the reason why your watch has stopped is that there's a marker floating mm. around and then suddenly everybody's saying well why didn't i notice that it should yeah. have been noticed when it was taken in and, and, uh, sure. and the unreasonable ones will say well you did it yeah yeah, so, of course. And then you're in trouble. Yeah, so because that can happen when you repair a watch, could it? Like, well, of course, yeah. of course, yeah. things like that can. Use happen. a loop. Use an eyeglass. Just look for little things. It doesn't hurt to write notes and, of and train your staff. Train yeah. your staff to look for these things too. The other thing I, I would recommend too is never ever do anything on the spot. I say that with jewellery too. The closest I would come to that is saying to somebody, "Okay, well, go off and do your shopping and come back in an hour." but still do your paperwork for it. It just seems to be Murphy's Law. Whenever you do something on the spot, that's when something goes wrong or when you get interrupted yeah. and then you've got a customer that's breathing down your neck and you've got this watch open in pieces on your desk. I just, I, I say that with jewellery, I say it with watches, never do anything on the spot. You're just adding too much risk for yourself by, by dropping everything and yeah. doing something straight away. When you're a... You know, if you're a jeweler and you're undertaking a battery change or something, some minor repair to the watch, like repairing the band, don't allow yourself to be interrupted while you're doing that task, especially if it's one that you don't do every day, because mm -hmm. the next thing you look, you've lost a part or you've dropped something on the floor or you didn't even know it was there because you weren't watching because someone was over here asking about Mrs. Johnson's ring. Yeah. Um, and the next thing you know, uh, you're in trouble. So, yeah, if you're not familiar, concentrate. What, what are things that come into your workshop that you're like, oh, someone upstream has 
oh. not done this or that or there's there's every spectrum of of <laughs> that 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 appears um, across I'm sure every tradesperson's desk you know whether you're a bricklayer or a uh, a, a diamond setter. So I, I think the common ones you would see in in your workshop would be people who have fitted a battery and then it's the wrong size battery mm, or absolutely. the wrong voltage battery because there are a lot of batteries and there is and, for and there's watches. not just now with with especially in Seiko's range we've got watches that have rechargeable cells that are charged by solar light or by yeah. movement of your wrist a kinetic watch so uh, we've seen you know normal batteries going into uh, a watch that has to have a rechargeable battery oh, sure. and it will never work because the contacts don't interact with each other they're designed to be separate I, so how many how many batteries do you think are in the watch world oh goodness to the uh, nearest several dozen I think uh, three digits, maybe. Yeah, probably or not being, quite. It would probably be in three digits if you take into account all the capacitors, rechargeable batteries, and the old style mercury oxide batteries from the seventies or sixties yeah. and seventies yeah. that have now been replaced with silver oxide ones with nylon uh, spaces. We've got lithium batteries now, we've got silver oxide, we've got the alkaline batteries, which, to be honest with you, you should never put in a watch, but I do see that quite a lot. Mm, that's that's another shocker because they never last as long as a silver oxide cell and when they leak, they leak badly too. Okay. And, and usually a lot earlier than a silver oxide cell will. So, yes, don't, don't buy the cards from your $2 shop. Okay, so is a silver oxide the sapphire glass of batteries? It's well, it's it's more the it's got the power density um, that that's appropriate for um, you know a, a typical watch that might run for two to three years in in normal service. It's bog standard, really, but it's the appropriate battery that should be used for 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 modern quartz watches. Okay, you can find alkaline cells that will fit in the same space, which have similar numbers, and are often you only have to visit a, a two dollar shop, so to speak, to see they have these cards of batteries they sell for two dollars. Yeah, they're all alkaline cells, and they won't last as long as a silver oxide battery. And I'm sure most of our jewelers out there are much more ethical than. Using batteries from a two dollars shop. Well, at least the ones that are listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's <are>. right. <laughs> Where should you get batteries from? Bunnings, <laughs> or is that as bad? Yeah. Trust, trust your material suppliers. So, I think. Yeah, Roger has skin in the game here because his uh, employer actually is one of the larger suppliers of batteries as well. Okay. Uh, and I will say that the Seiko brand batteries are extremely good quality, mm. and they do give a twelve-month guarantee as well against uh, damage that has been done by the battery itself leaking the acid. So, if essentially what they're saying is that if our battery fails and leaks acid into the watch, we will cover the cost of the repairs i don't always use seiko brand batteries what i tend to do for spare parts i have numerous spare part suppliers that are based in australia that i deal with yes i realize you can buy these things online but there are a lot of counterfeit things online don't trust ebay saying that they're selling you certain things yeah occasionally there are things that i I do need to buy off of ebay or alibaba or numerous websites but as a general i try and deal direct with australian-based suppliers so that i've got the coverage of australian consumer law uh, that i do have guarantees brands of batteries most of them are much of a muchness personal preference is to always stick to japanese brands i know that there are watchmakers out there that uh, have a preference for european brands there are two major brands of european batteries personally i've had too many problems yep. with the european brands leaking acid into and the watch i would agree 100 percent on that there's also there's an american brand of battery which is quite Good in terms of the argument, uh, the European brands leaking their acid. There was for a time there the Australian importer and agent for a very large Swiss watch brand had a policy of the moment that their watches landed in the country, they had their service team open the watch, remove the European branded battery and replace it with an American branded one so they wouldn't have Mm. warranty repairs Mm. caused by by the batteries leaking acid. Yeah, and that story is not anecdotal. I mean, I'm sure there's many people out there who who know of this. Find yourself some Australian-based spare parts suppliers. There are a number of them in Sydney, Melbourne, and um, Brisbane. Brisbane. Not so much over on in the centre of the country or the other side. I could be wrong. We've had a, a few of them closed down, closed okay. down over the last ten years. 
Advice with tools, I would say buy better quality, don't buy cheap throwaway ones. We've all seen watches with screws holding the back on that the head mm. of the screw has been butchered and it's almost impossible to get it oh, out. Yeah, we've all done that as well. All in my Ikea is well bad screw heads, yeah. Well, I would say <laughs> high-quality screwdrivers, particularly for Phillips heads, mm, is absolutely. very important. I have And the right size. Yes. And the, yeah. in the correct size, yes. Case opening knives, get a decent quality one, and make sure that you keep it sharp. Actually, get a few. Get different types. Yeah, get a few different, different types. Different types are, are different, appropriate for different case packs. Yep. It's important yeah. to not just have one necessarily. Correct. Yeah. So are these like the, your common everyday tools? Correct. Like, so you've got screwdrivers. Tweezers. And screwdrivers, tweezers. tweezers. Case uh, pack yeah. openers. Uh, never, ever hold a battery between tweezers on the positive and negative terminal or mm. between your fingers because you'll be shorting it out never leave a fingerprint inside of a watch yes absolutely um, oh really what's what, what's bad about doing it, that then? i think it's again just good good practice well so it's like the grease of your finger correct. will contaminant and it'll 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 rust the it'll cause little fingerprint rust marks on the watch over time yeah. and yeah, okay. uh, next can... thing you know in 100 years they see your fingerprint <laughs> well it could be <laughs> maybe maybe it's a trademark <laughs> can, can be also that uh, um, the, the the chemicals in your perspiration can contaminate the lubricants in a watch. They can cause rust or oxidisation. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's just really poor practice to leave fingerprints in there. You can buy a product called Rodico, which is a looks a lot like Blue Tac, but it's a, it's a different chemical. It's very oh, different. so like to press off. And mm. you, yeah, you can grease. remove yep. fingerprints with that if you're careful. Maybe a little tray for all your small parts because Correct. when I was working for you, Neil, there was many times your dad would ask me to find something tiny on his very messy desk because <laughs> he said I had better eyes than him. It was always fun to yeah. try and... <laughs> Challenge. <find. laughs> yeah. And everyone's got their own style of working, but True -true. you know, being organised, like, it comes right back from taking the condition report of a watch. If you're organised right there, you're protecting yourself later on. And it's yeah. the same with when you're working on the watch, just much less likely you're going to lose it if you've yeah. got it carefully boxed. And you can spend hours looking, you spend a lot of your time looking for small pieces. So the more, the more you prepare for that and try and avoid it well there's nothing more stressful than uh, you know sweeping the floor and uh, looking on your hands and knees for uh, while there's a customer standing at the counter waiting for their watch back <laughs> which is why I say never do anything on the spot yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah sure yeah. good point <laughs> if you're going to drop or, or flick something that's when it's going to happen mm, that's often the case in terms of selling watches we'll go through a bit of terminology of the watch itself and what it means the obvious one to me is waterproof. What does it mean? And Technically, waterproof would be a term that should never be used, mm. depending on how you interpret it, but it's actually technically an illegal term under the Trade Practices Act. Okay. Uh, that may be a, a, a urban myth, I don't know. But the, the long and the short of it is, is that there is nothing that is waterproof. Everything that we would refer to as waterproof is water resistant under certain circumstances? Mm. So where is the resistance? Is it? It's in the uh, crown. You, you've trying got the, to remember all the parts of watches. Yeah. Yeah, you've got the integrity of the case itself, the design of the case, the way it fits together in its you know major components like the bezel and the glass and the case back. So that's your major parts of the watch case that are important to keep water out. Yes. And then, of course, probably the most important part is then the parts that move where you have gaskets in the um, the, the crown and stem and the case back and perhaps the glass uh, and the bezel. Um, so those are important maintenance parts for uh, ensuring that that watch stays water resistant. So, yeah. so in terms of where the water resistance is, I think most watches, it's going to be three points. It's going to be around the glass, where the case back meets the case, and where the crown, or what some people call a winder, uh, meets the case. Mm -hmm. That's going to be your three main parts. If you have buttons on the watch or pushes, it's also going to be those points. Definitely. Uh, yeah, sure. If it's a three-piece case where you have a separate bezel fitting onto a middle case with then a back, it may be also that point there. And, and sometimes that may also be a, a point that you don't even know exists and, until 
some point later on down the track when the whole thing's pulled apart. So um, there's, there's multiple areas where water resistance can fail. The way in which it's generally expressed is you'll see a, a, a rating in either metres, ATM or BAR, mm-hmm. B-A-R. Yep. What does ATM stand for? Atmosphere. Atmospheres. Okay. So, oh, sure. Oh, so like... I'm in an atmosphere of air, or I'm in an atmosphere of mist. So uh, <laughs> it means how many times atmospheric pressure. Correct. So how many times average atmospheric pressure at sea level that that case can withstand before it leaks. So the, the common one you'll see is 3 ATM, which translates to 3 bar or 30 metres water resistant. That's not 30 metres down no, in no, ocean, no, though, correct. is it? No, it's not. So we're getting to that. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially, <laughs> essentially what it means is that the, the design of the water resistance is such, the design is such that the case can withstand an equivalent air pressure under laboratory conditions for a period of, I think, one minute without leaking. There's, so, there's international and Australian standards for water resistance there, in watches. There are ISO guidelines that you can look up. Mm. But essentially, something like 3 ATM, 3 bar, 30 metre means splashproof. Does not so mean go, you're meant in, to go in swimming. In real life, that's what? Rain? Mm-hmm. Rain, washing your hands, yep. falling in the pool and climbing straight back out again. Yep. Maybe yeah. maybe an, an accidental shower while you leave your watch on something maybe. like that. Yeah. Although this but is another... not to get in the habit of things like no, that. No, I, I wouldn't ATM. suggest so, no. Okay. It's like don't wear jewellery when you're gardening. Mm, absolutely. Like, yeah. Exactly. One of the things that uh, water resistance ratings do not take into account is changes in temperature. Mm. The other thing is viscosity of water can be different depending on what chemicals are present. Often you'll find things like... Uh, detergents, shampoos, conditioners, soaps may actually change the viscosity of the water and, and give it an opportunity to get past a, a gasket. Sure. Uh, and those chemicals... So don't give your watch a scrub whilst <laughs> you're in the shower. Well, it's not necessarily a bad idea to, cl- to clean your watch every now and then carefully, but certainly I don't think you should be scrubbing, and especially given that the lubricants on those gaskets are the most important part to Correct. keeping them pliable. Ah, oh, true. So the you're last thing you want is the glue. Really. The, you don't and want the your soap to to get in and and uh, and wash away that lovely silicon that keeps yeah. everything fluid and so, moving. Yeah, okay. most most uh, gaskets are lubricated with silicon grease or something similar, mm. um, which actually keeps it pliable and keeps it. Uh, from drying out, cracking, shrinking. And just being distorted when you move the buttons or the crown, etc. Oh, yeah, okay. And the uh, chemicals in soaps and shampoos can actually strip that that grease away yep. and cause it to be much more susceptible. It, it tends to be a cumulative effect. Mm. So up from 3 ATM, we've got five? five. Yep. Five. Which is equivalent to 50 metres? 50 yep. metres or five bar. Which again is not fifty meters down. No, again. So, so that that rating would be generally suitable for light swimming duties. Mm-hmm. Okay. That that would be. It. I would I would guess probably the heaviest sort of thing you would want to do in that is is wear it at the beach where you know where you might be getting dumped by the waves or whatever. If you are into water sports, probably you want ten ATM, hundred meter, ten bar is your minimum rating. Yeah. Uh, and then for diving... Yeah, if you want to swim with sharks and get home for tea on time... Yes. What what, what should you be wearing then? So for, t- for diving, you want 200 metre, 20 ATM, 20 bar as a bare minimum. Generally speaking, though, I would recommend my clients to go for something that actually says... A specialised watch. That, yeah, and, and that actually below that rating actually says divers. And there's a separate um, international and Australian standard for divers watches as well. Sure. And I've seen as well there's uh, watches for aviators. Mm. Is that uh, an atmospheric thing? No. That's more a stylistic uh, thing. That's just generally speaking, good. it's stylistic. The aesthetics for original aviators watches were uh, designed so that they were clear and easy to read in a poorly lit cabin at a glance. Also, some aviation watches may have slide rule bezels on them so you can calculate fuel consumption, airspeed, etc. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but really, it, it's more of a, an aesthetic and thing. These also, days. legibility, I think, for okay. they have numbers that are easily visible in the dark. Correct, and, yeah. 
things like that. Which same goes for, for divers' watches. That, yes. That would generally be the difference between one that's rated at 200 metres or one that's rated as a 200 metre divers will be its legibility at distance in murky water in the dark. Ah, oh, very cool. Something okay. about divers uh, and, and water resistance that I'd like to say is that, um, you know, as as people in the trade, we're often asked to do a battery and a pressure test on the customer's watch. The key is maintenance. You know, if a watch is being exposed to salt water and chlorine water from swimming pools and things like that, you can't expect that it's going to stay water resistant forever. It's certainly, you know, I'd say at a very minimum every three years, you should ask that the, a, a watchmaker or yeah. a qualified person replace those gaskets and ensure yeah. that that watch isn't going to become a spirit level. Yeah, so if, if, you, if you're bashing your watch hard you need to get it taken care of frequently absolutely yeah Yeah. uh what other things would you expect in the more high-end watch in terms of function form things like that what what are upselling parts i I, I guess in the in the 0.1 percent that very very top uh echelon of of the trade there are things that you just couldn't even imagine that are, are crammed into watches uh, and the vast majority of us will never actually see them you have watches that will show you the movements of the entire solar system that watch is so pretty you sent me a photo of the other day yeah. things that are no longer referred to as a watch but are referred to as a wrist machine or a time machine where um it will give you a mechanical digital readout. These things are called complications. Yeah, complications. And, okay. Uh, and there's there's many different complications, and there's different levels of complications. You know, there's grand complications, uh, which there's certain you know master watchmakers of of the of the past have made. Um, that all have incredible technical innovations and, and amazing inventions that they were in their time and probably still are today still in are their today. complexity, incredible complexity. Yeah. yeah. So we're not like even going outside of the case. We're, yeah, we're, we're well the, within. The well movement, within. Yeah. The movement so we could have start at $4 and go up to easily. millions? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, easily. You know, we have things like Sony Airs, which are, uh, it's a mechanical watch and you press a button on and a mechanical gear train and bell will actually chime out to you what the exact time is. So there's the grand and petite sonnery. Sure, if you think about those sort of mechanical toys and things mm. from the part, like the Automatons and things, yeah. yeah. It, it literally Correct. is. Or you, you Tiny do, versions of them, you yeah. have, watches. You have watches that will give you a perpetual calendar from a mechanical perspective. So... What's a perpetual calendar? Just so that the watch, the watch, when set correctly, will know when if it's, it's a, if it's a short month or a long month, whether it's a leap year. Yeah, okay. up to, up to the year twenty one hundred, um, uh, because every now you're really every one hundred years. <laughs> Will will not be a leap year when it would normally be. That's right. Except, it, except for every four hundred, when it will. There's a mathematical yeah. a mathematical uh, formula which I'm a bit. So off. I think 2000 is the last time that it was a 100 That's year, right. and it was a leap year. Correct. And I think 20. It's divisible by four. I think is is one of the mathematical yeah. equations. I think 2400 is the next time that it will be divisible by 100, but also be a leap year. Wow. Okay. But not it won't do daylight savings. Hey. No, it won't do daylight savings. <laughs> some of the, some of the more technological watches can do daylight savings now. Um, uh, I, I believe certainly smartwatches are capable of it, where they're talking to your phone, uh, of course, and that's a whole realm again of of different. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that uh, smartwatches have essentially broken that link between watches and jewellery, and smartwatches are actually more closely linked to electronics than our trade. And and I would say that smartwatches are probably not the best for our jewellery businesses because the, most of them are designed not to be repaired and have no spare parts. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, it's true. P- potentially from a sales perspective, they're okay, but, uh, you know, if they come back for any repairs, really often all you can do is sell them a band. Yeah. And then it has to be purchased from the original manufacturer. Yeah. But I, I also read that it could be a gateway to higher-end watches because you, you, if you start with a smartwatch, you start getting used to having something on your wrist. Potentially, Whereas yes. Whereas 10 years ago, everyone was just like, oh, let me check my phone from my yeah. pocket. Mm. 
people are now back on the wrist. Yes. Well, and that's another reason why vintage watches are back in vogue, you know, and, and, and more than ever before probably cher- cherished and valued by their owners. What are some famous watches? Gosh. Brands. Okay. So we've got Rolex. Everybody everybody seems to, to put Rolex on a pedestal. Uh, Deservedly so? or in, in many cases, probably. I, I'm going to <laughs> inspire some wrath from some fans. I'm going to say that I'm not a massive fan of Rolex. I, I think that they're, they are superfluous quality. They really are fantastically well made. So that's what they do well, is they make... Good movements. Yeah. Their only thing that they do really well is they build a high-quality movement and a high-quality case. What I what I don't like about them is, is that uh, for about the last 20 years, they've had a policy that they will not sell spare parts to the trade, which has resulted in some quite large antitrust cases in the US uh, sure. by the government uh, essentially suing them. And this is not this is not unique to uh, Rolex. There's many many other brands that are uh, just as uh, difficult to deal with from a trade point of view that believe that they're superior to perfectly well qualified and ethical uh, practicing watchmakers, independent watchmakers who cannot buy the parts that they deservedly should be able to. What other brands? Note of notes. Okay, Patek Philippe. They they really are on that pinnacle. They're they're an expensive watch. Oh yes, yes. This is this is high 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 end. High 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 yep. end. I, I I honestly I don't know what uh, retail prices are for them at the moment, but I, I would hazard a guess that probably their cheapest model would be ten thousand dollars uh, Aussie oh, something. I'm like thinking that. ten to forty thousand yeah, myself. Could yeah. be even could be even more. Okay. I really don't know. Um, but what I see of them, every single one of them is absolutely superfluous quality better than the level of quality that is necessary they 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 will do things like where there is a bearing surface that could quite easily just be hardened steel against brass they will put hardened steel against synthetic sapphire or synthetic sapphire against synthetic sapphire just to reduce friction somewhere where somewhere where it really makes overall zero almost zero difference but they do it because they can so they're not a she'll be right kind of company <laughs> not at all when you're in that league of any of the of the famous high-end brands you know uh, you can't be she'll be right it's it's as close to perfection as possible wow okay you know and 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 the customers are almost as discerning i, I dare say that uh, some of the customers expect that level of almost perfection yeah wow you know, all in such a tiny space mm. yeah you, you can't have defects and that comes down to workmanship as well when you're repairing watches of that ilk, your workmanship has to be of the best quality and your self-quality control has to be extremely uh, perfectionistic. Yeah. You, you can't have a piece of fluff under the dial, a little smudge, a little mark, yeah. scratch. No, it has to be very well done. So you obviously love Seiko, but what other watches in your in your uh collecting well i think there's there's all sorts of wonderful brands like a lot of the swiss brands are, are amazing you know there's the, the most most general people have heard of amiga and uh, there's longines uh, some of the wonderful classic swiss brands uh, you know australians love tag heuer um, they do know, don't they yeah. great sports watches they, they look the part they've got that fashion uh, i think for, yeah. for men nowadays you know it's it's probably one of the last true jewelry accessories that men can wear every day right. and feel feel. Uh, I will say that Tag Heuer in Australia have been fantastic over their spare parts Absolutely. supply. Yeah. Uh, they are okay, so, so they back it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Off the top of my head, they are the only major Swiss brand in Australia that will readily supply their spare parts to anybody in the trade. And they are quite readily available. They know what they do and don't have in stock. They give you accurate estimates of arrival times when something is out of stock, and their prices are relatively sensible for spare parts sure. as opposed to a couple of the Swiss brands who attempt to sell their spare parts at retail prices. So. From a business model perspective, that makes it very accessible. Absolutely. I, I don't know whether they're that easy to get them in as a product to sell in your store. Sure. I believe that there is certainly a lot of um, criteria you need to be met in ah, order to, sure. to stock them. Uh, in terms of taking them in for repair, 
repairs and servicing, yep. I think you can always be comfortable that it can be fixed and it can be fixed in a timely manner. And that's okay. the, the beautiful link between sales and service that, uh, you know, if, if you are selling a product and that you can assure your customer that there's somebody local who can repair it and at a re- reasonable price, then most customers would find that an advantageous uh, reason to, to buy uh, or invest in, in, in something that they know they can repair and get it repaired reasonably yep. by the guy down the road. Yep. And then, of course, we have got Seiko. Yeah, so I, I've, I've said this for many years. Something that a lot of people don't understand is that the vast majority of watches on the market are manufactured by one of maybe five companies worldwide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's and, always the, and Seiko, the pyramid up. And, and Seiko and their sister companies have always been one of those top manufacturers. They've always been close to the forefront of technology. We have them to thank for the quartz or battery-operated watch. They were first on the market with one in 1969. There's been a lot of innovations. They've always been good with backup spare parts and service. So I've always said that they are for your everyday middle ground to upper middle ground quality product. I've always found them to be good from a retail perspective. You're able to sell them in your shop? Generally, As a general rule, yes, um, they have far less criteria that you need to adhere to to become a stockist. You'd be hard-pressed to find any other brand in the world other than Seiko that has the variety of models, uh, types of watches, types of different calibres inside their watches. That's the movements. Yeah. Uh, Types of technology. They really have everything. What about Casio? Casio. Are they due a comeback? (laughs) Or are they still going? Yeah, they're certainly well and truly on the market and and certainly operating and they make, you know, they they may not make the high-end stuff, but they've got got a smart watch watch on the market. Okay. They've also got, uh, you know, you ask any bricklayer, uh, electrician, uh, heavy tradesperson, they're going to have a G-Shock on their watch, oh, uh, on, on, oh, their, on sure. their wrist, yeah, because yeah. they uh, then they're known in the in the trade for being relatively cheap. They look the part and they're tough. So yeah. what's wrong with yeah. that? If you want something that's more specialised, uh, but at a sensible price point, then Casio are definitely mm. uh, yeah, a great okay. brand. They'll supply parts where they can. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're another company that has a huge variety of models and and types. An uh, iconic for that reason and, as well. And, yeah. Sure. When you go through their their major catalogue, there are thousands of models that all perform different functions. They even have they have uh, they have one that will tell you the direction of Mecca. They have ones that are for music teachers that will tell you a, a particular note. Uh, okay. They have ones for. We have one. Someone from my class in school had one that would press play and stop on the VCR. Correct. So oh, when we wow. were at school. And they had a... I still have one of those in a box at home, unsold, un- <laughs> oh, really? un- unopened. And when, Ebayers, when Neil's we, your man. Yes. <laughs> when we had an assembly with us and they'd play a, a video for us, they would stop and start it and it would confuse the teachers. Wow. And it would be hilarious. What We'd a great feature. I never time. heard of that. That's great. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. They, uh, they had, um, I believe that they had the first GPS watch in the world. Uh, I know back in the 90s I had them in stock, yep. which I think, you know, 1996. It was uh, $1,100 for a um, for a Casio in a plastic case on a rubber yeah. band, which was, you know, it was huge back then. I think I managed to sell three of them. Took a massive camera battery in there and the, the GPS would only work for three hours straight before depleting that battery. But they, they've certainly... Um, been innovators over as somebody f- with an electronics background i can tell you the, the the amount of complexity that's required to acquire a time from gps is quite remarkable and okay. to actually in, to do it with low power consumption and uh, reliability takes serious serious skill i've built my own gps clocks and uh, i can oh, tell wow. you there's a lot a lot involved to to, to miniaturize go that, that size Absolutely. as well, well actually, you could do it in a uh, shoebox maybe yes but. sure <laughs> yes well actually I, I will correct that that there are two different types of gps watches there are the types such as the seiko astron which will actually using gps determine where on the face of the planet you are and therefore what time zone you were you were in and therefore what the exact time is uh, but the other type, and which is what this original Casio was, 
is one which will actually pinpoint where you are on the face of the planet. So that's what this one was. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't using GPS to determine what the time was. What it was actually for was if you were hiking oh. or whatever. Oh, I see, yeah. And you could actually, pin, you could actually it's like plot. like a compass. Yes, you could plot waypoints mm-hmm. as to where you had been. It kind of all goes back to the power being on your wrist, sort of sci-fi. We all want to get to the, the stage. The Dick Tracy watch. That's right. <laughs> when the world's Spy a oyster, watches, isn't it? Yeah. And and you think about the future. You know, the technological imp- innovations in the last fifty years. You know, and I think it's getting exponentially faster every year. I mean, you know, there's people who talk about implantable technology. So who knows what the future holds? It's a, yeah. it's up to your imagination, virtually. Mechanical and electronic. Okay. Oh, not sure I'd want a mechanical watch implanted in me. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> there's all so- sorts of people in the world. Oh, yeah, right. That'd be an interesting pressure test. Hey? Yes, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, and we'll finish on some uh, double entendres, shall we? Because in Jewelry making, there's just so many. You've got ring, cleavage, things like that. Pearl necklace. What about watches? Is it just time puns? Or have you got some fun things that go on? Um, (laughs) That's a good one. Come on, we're running out of time. TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Time is of the essence. (laughs) You still got ring. Yeah. Do you remember many, many, many years ago, I think I was a kid at the time, that um, somebody brought a watch into into Dad and uh, he said that he wanted his hands circumcised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> turned out turned out he wanted his hands uh, calibrated. Oh, that's a different word. Back to zero, but... Uh, <laughs> He just obviously used the wrong terminology. Um, Well, it is a sort of time pun. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to add? I think it was quite comprehensive. Mm. Quick advice for jewellers looking to stock watches. If you want to stock watches for sale in your store, ask a lot of questions of the wholesaler. Ask them what kind of backup they have on spare parts, servicing, repairs. There's a lot of information available online as well. There's a lot of forums uh, about watch brands. Uh, if you're going to take on a fashion label brand, just understand that often with the fashion labels that there is very limited spare parts availability. So, yeah, um, once it breaks, it breaks. Once it breaks, it breaks. Or certainly in five years' time, if you want a new band or a new glass, the wholesaler may well have literally destroyed them. Yeah, or never stock them in the first place. There's another thing to think about too, I suppose, in the design of a, of a watch. Some some watches are so uh, like have a you know a design feature or a stylistic uh, portion that means that you can't just put any band on them because of the shape of the case. Or so that's important, I guess. If you want to think about if you have a customer who's thinking about the long term, you know, it, it's important to uh, to think about those things. Like, is this a band that I could replace with a generic band in the future? Uh, because sometimes you can't and then there's absolutely nothing you can do short of remanufacture the band or completely repair it which can be a very time consuming thing so so that's a that's a thought you know think yeah. about the long term if your customer wants that yeah absolutely again talking to your customer mm. isn't it yep yeah right uh, and Roger what's the is there a fourth year apprenticeship or are you going to be well, qualified my, next year uh, it could go either way <laughs> but um, <laughs> hopefully uh, my my formal part of the training uh, finishes at the end of this year so it's three years that I do block release at TAFE um, and at the end of this year uh, I'll, I'll have my fourth year where I'm just basically working on the job yeah. and uh, at the end of that then technically I'm signed off but you can be signed off early for various reasons which I'll try and hopefully get an angle on well, you sound very passionate and I think a, certainly a lot of people in our trade are. I mean, uh, you know, it's something that I think watchmakers love their, their thing. And, that, and that's that's part of the problem with the trade in one way is that it's often been referred to or thought of as a hobby trade. You know, that person only does it because he loves it so much. He's not yeah, actually yeah. doing it to make a comfortable income. He's not necessarily doing it. Bec- he'll, he'll just do it because that's what he needs to do. Well, it goes both ways, really. I mean, everyone, the, the skill level in watchmaking is, is, is high. Yeah. You know, it, it, it takes dexterity, it takes patience, it takes knowledge, it takes real skills that uh, not everyone has. If, if someone is out there thinking about doing a watch apprenticeship, Look, I, any I, advice for you three years ago? Well, I would certainly say uh, it's, it's, a, it's like every apprenticeship, it's a sacrifice. You know, you have to, there's a period of learning that 
that that comes that you need to undertake before you can be competent but with patience and with with the willingness and commitment you can achieve incredible things and the world is your oyster you know the the the, the critical mass of watchmakers is probably well past so it's yeah. it's anyone's game now if you want to be committed uh, i think there's great opportunities for the future it's a great it's a great passion it's a great career Yes, there is exactness. Yes, there is that need for virtual perfection. Yes, there's a need for uh, patience and 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 real skill. But uh, it's worth it if you if you really want to go down that road. Yes, and do it soon (laughs) while you still can. And Neil, have you ever written Neil Wazir inside inside a watch watch? (laughs) for your legacy? actually put my name inside of a watch that uh, I was working for a wholesaler in their service department some years ago and Ivanka Trump came to town on some publicity tour and she was a uh, a spokesperson for the brand and uh, for whatever reason I was asked to assemble a a watch out of spare parts to give to her as a as a gift or for her to wear while she was on this tour oh, sure the particular model that they wanted to give her was not in stock at the moment at the time it was uh, it was a new release and um, the initial shipment had sold out so I had to get all the spare parts off of the out of the drawers and, and assemble it into a piece and I was told what it was for so I, I did right assembled by neil polar inside of it uh now to be honest with you, i don't really want my name associated with every time every time i repair a watch i do put my trademark the date and what i did inside of it though so i mean when i see them again i, I know what i did to it five years ago or 10 years ago yeah. Every now and then I'll see something that my dad did 40 years ago. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming down. It is Good Friday we're recording this one. So yeah, that's commitment. So Roger, so Roger, really has, uh, Roger has postponed his, uh, his weekend getaway just to come in and have a chat to us. Well, hopefully it works in favour of the traffic. Fingers yeah, well, I'm crossed. sure it will, actually. That's a good thought. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it's it. wonderful to be here. Have a wonderful weekend. Have a wonderful month all the listeners and uh, we'll see you next time you've been listening to a social storytellers podcast 